And I said, the greatest need I have is that I have so much darkness. I, have, I live in darkness. I live in fear. I live in hatred. If you will take away my darkness, I will serve you for the rest of my life. That's how I gave my life to God. Jahan Burns grew up in Uganda, where her father was a senior level officer in the Ugandan military before his assassination when Jahan was just six. In her childhood, she was exposed to the occult and was a practicing Muslim before having a radical encounter with the God of the Bible. Today, she takes us on an amazing journey of spiritual power in the presence of God that you will not soon forget. Welcome to A Stronger Faith, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to the experiences of the presence of God that have changed the faith and eternal outlook of everyday people. I'm Stacy McCants, and I want to invite you to participate with us in our mission of revealing the active presence of God in the world today. There are three ways you can participate. First, we invite you to pray that God moves strongly through each of these conversations and uses them to powerfully build His kingdom. Pray also that He continues to provide what we need to continue to grow this ministry. All of it comes from God for His purposes, and we believe there is great power when believers join together in prayer. So we ask that you include us in your prayer time. Second, you can become a donor to this ministry. You know, part of me thinks it would be great if we didn't need money to build things, especially ministries in this world. But then I realize that God often uses the need for money to cause us to more faithfully rely on Him to build our faith. This podcast very much exists on faith. If you feel like God may be moving you to join our group of financial supporters, Simply go to him in prayer and ask him what he wants you to do. Then just do whatever he says. God provides everything we've been given to do this work. And we invite you to join us as we use what God has generously given us to build his kingdom. To learn more about becoming a donor, no matter how large or how small, please visit astrongerfaith.org give or email us at contact at astrongerfaith.org. Finally, you can take a look around your circles and think about who you may know that has great faith or has had a powerful spiritual experience that could point people to the truth of the spiritual nature of life and ultimately to the presence of God. Many of our guests have come from listener suggestions and you can participate in this ministry by recommending a guest yourself. To share your idea with us, simply go to astrongerfaith.org slash contact and fill out a quick form or email contact at astrongerfaith.org. We'll follow up from there. God uses every single episode to draw people closer to Him, and you can enjoy the fulfillment of knowing that you participated in building the kingdom of God and the faith of others when you make a guest recommendation. Today is a special day because our guest is one of the most engaged people in the Spirit of God that I've ever met. She's an attorney, chief operating officer for an international ministry, a speaker, author, 
deliverance minister, wife, and mother. And her experiences with the power of God will change your faith. Please meet Jahan Burns. Jahan Burns, you are active for the kingdom of God. I've had multiple people suggest that we have a conversation here. And I tell you, just a quick Google search <laughs> fills pages with the things that you are. I, I, I think you are uh, a warrior for the kingdom of heaven. And it's because you've had some extraordinary experiences from your earliest years. And, um, but then God has anointed you in some powerful ways that you then have been an amazing steward of. If it's the parable of the talents, you're the one with that turned five into ten, in my view. And so I'm thankful to have you here. We're going to talk through a lot of things, but ultimately um, our intention is to reveal the truth of the presence of God in, in this world and the ways that you have experienced Him. So, Jahan, thanks for coming. Thank you, Stacy. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, um, this podcast has been a, um, you know, it's been a little bit of a personal project for a while, and I didn't know, God put it on my heart three years ago, and I didn't know how it was going to shake out. It's like, okay, this is a way that I can participate in the Great Commission. If anybody listens to any of these and they are directed toward God, then that's fulfilling for me. But as it's evolved, and I think increasingly recently, I think he's pulled us into exposing and revealing some pretty powerful inbreakings of him into this world that I think people who uh, question or doubt whether God's real are seriously challenged by it. I, I wonder what the arguments of a non-believer are against some of the things that have happened in this podcast recently other than, well, they're just lying or they're crazy or <laughs> it just didn't happen. And so I want to get to that um, today. But so you are currently the chief operating officer at JH Israel. You have been an advocate for Israel, I believe, for quite some time. It's been, God's put that on your heart. Correct. But before that, an attorney. Yes. And I don't know all the things before that, but I do know that you were born and raised in Uganda? Correct. And so it might just benefit us to understand a little bit about your upbringing, especially your spiritual upbringing. I, talk about the events that happened, but I'm really interested in how God began to shape you for the work that you're doing now spiritually. Right. So, Stacy, I was born in Uganda in 1979. My dad was in the military high-ranking um, army officer. He was Anglican. My mom was Muslim. So they were not really um, into God, even in their respective religions, but were most so, um, like Africa during that time, um, very much into the ancestral worship kind of environment. So I, my first exposure to spirituality was, I would say, <clears throat> the occult. Um, I, I was baptized at five by sprinkling, but 
that's it, you know. Um, a Christian? Yes, in the Anglican church. Okay. But when my dad was assassinated um, at six, you know, that was the end of that. And, you know, we were shortly after that converted to Islam. And so I grew up Muslim. But I do remember that I would say my first encounter out with the presence of God, even though I didn't know it was the presence of God, was at my father's funeral. Thousands of people, you know, full military funeral. And I'm, I'm shut down because they just brought this corpse after two, three weeks of searching for his body. They found it. Yeah, so you probably want to background us on that quickly. Okay. On how you got to the funeral. Okay. So, um, you know, in, after we had, most people are familiar with just the civil wars that Africa has had, and Uganda was no exception. And um, after our independence from Great Britain, we went through uh, years of turmoil. And we ended up having a dictator called Idi Amin that my father ousted in 79, the year that I was born. Um, it was a joint effort with others to oust him. But our country was thrown in civil war for a very long time. And so my father ends up um, heading an army that protected the southern half of the country where the capital city of Uganda is in Kampala. And so after years of fighting, most of the fighting factions came together and formed a unity government in 1985. And um, that brought about a, a measure of peace for a very short time but that was a time that I was able to really experience no more family life with my dad um, but it didn't last long and so it fell apart one day and there was fighting broke out all over the city my dad came pick me up from school very early in the morning and we get home and um, he starts pacing up and down receiving phone call after phone call and um Eventually, he gets this phone call that invites him to renewed peace talks at this famous hotel in Kampala. And he walks into an ambush with his mm. soldiers and they behead all of them and uh, take him to a lonely road in the city suburb called Silver Springs and they kill him. So they call the media anonymously and say, we've killed so-and-so. And, and that was it. We first heard about that on the news. So we spent the next few weeks searching for his body. Mm. And when it was eventually brought, he didn't look like anything or anyone I knew. And so as a six and a half year old, I kind of went into a state of shock. And uh, everyone was weeping and wailing, screaming, crying. And all I felt was this heaviness, a very um, coldness within me. And I couldn't shake it off. And and so I just went into the state of denial, like that is not my dad, you know. But I remember in that whole mourning, grief, funeral process, they sang a hymn. They were singing hymns, but one hymn in particular um, struck me. And he was saying, I am so glad, I am so glad that Jesus washed my sins away. Oh, how he loved me, how he cared. This is, I'm translating it from my native language. Yeah. I didn't know what it meant. Remember, I'd only had one experience of church. So I didn't know who Jesus was. I didn't know about washing of sins away, anything like that. But it was, a, I felt such a strange stirring in my spirit that it made me want to cry. But that moment, Stacy, was 
etched on my mind forever that many years after that I would go through very traumatic experiences and I would find myself caught up again in that song, in that moment with that strange stirring and it would comfort me, but I didn't know what it meant. So through the years of Islam, through the years of being inducted fully into the occult and the trauma that went with you know, the demonic experiences and the worship, at my lowest of lows, this song would come back. So it's much later on when I came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ that I was able to connect the dots and say, oh my goodness, Jesus was there. Jesus was there with me at my father's funeral. He was there in my most trying of times. He was always there Mm. letting me know that he cared, that he loved me, that he died for me. I just didn't have the knowledge and the experience to understand it until the appointed time. Yeah, it's awesome that he stepped in at your most vulnerable, volatile time Mm -hmm. at six years old at your father's funeral. Mm -hmm. And um, so from there, from the funeral, you said you had years of Islam. Correct. And occult. Correct. So whatever you're able to mention about that, I'd like to know. I mean, were you uh, and your mother pretty heavily practicing Muslims? Or wh- wh- what do you remember about what do I okay. Islam? So I will say um, that for me as a, as a child, because of the trauma of, of the wars and the loss of our home after our dad died and the poverty, I began to really search. I wanted to find meaning in my suffering. Was there God? Did he care? Was he real? And could he help me with just the, the, the problems that I faced, the loneliness, the the acute deprivation that I went through. My mother herself was suffering so greatly that um, she was also searching. And having come from a Muslim background, um, it made sense to her and to go back to that. And indeed, her family desired that. So at around 9, 10 years of age, we were converted to Islam. And in the beginning, I thought, wow, this is a good way to really know about God because I didn't have any spiritual exposure um, consistently. So I thought, I threw myself into learning the Arabic prayers, reading the Quran in English, going to the mosque, you know, fasting during the month of Ramadan, you know, all the, the works, the based, you know, the works based way of, finding God and uh, but I was very empty I still did not find the meaning that I was looking for and one day my mother ran into a, a friend of hers from school and they began to talk and her friend said you know I think you're going through a really difficult time she says I know a spiritist a witch doctor that has supernatural power that is 
going to be able to he's going to be able to help you and your family he'll be able to talk to you and connect you to your dead husband you know and the spirit of your dead husband who will be able to explain some things to you so stacy think about it in the us in the last five years i have seen such a rise of the occult and, and new ageism and and the glorification of visiting spiritists and mediums people who have knowledge of the supernatural and can connect you to that and so this is where we found ourselves in the 90s um, but i'll tell you that what happened when my mother went there and then she took us there it was a very very dark world of demonic activity that opened us up to very hellish experiences and torture and torment and so um that's my concern when i see that and the glorification of that and the increase and the growth of that in america is that people do it in innocence but it's opening up a kind of worms because you expose yourself to such uh, evil spiritual forces that are bent to your destruction and the bible clearly warns us of that and um, yeah the world doesn't think that's real the world doesn't think that's real i think the world i i i know spiritual people understand that yeah the world says that's superstition that's uh that people that participate in that it's um it's a lifestyle uh potentially a hobby but it's not something that contains actual power beyond the power of your mind as sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy type thing. Right. What did you experience in that time that would refute the idea that it's not actually real? Hmm. So Stacy, before I answer that, I think that let's look at what the Bible you know, the Bible is very clear that there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and light yep. and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, I, and I, I do want to say something before we get into this. Okay. Yeah. We believe it's important to shine a light on the darkness, to expose it to light. Right. In no way do we want to participate in glorifying anything that is destructive, but, um, I believe that if when we don't talk about it, uh, we um, sort of propagate the illusion that it's not real. Yeah. When we talk about it, and and so that's why I want to bring it up. Right. No, you're right. So in talking about the two kingdoms, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness, when Jesus came to the earth, when you read about his work, a great amount of time in healing. Jesus spent it on healing the oppressed of the devil. That's right. Casting demons out. And how did they manifest? They threw people down. They made people sick, right? They made people insane. And he dedicated his time. If you read just the, the healing encounters, a third maybe even of Jesus's encounters in healing was setting people free from demonic oppression the bible says for this reason was a son of god manifested to destroy the works of the devil 
yeah. the works of evil. So I think to say or to deny that the devil doesn't exist is really to be ignorant of what the Bible says and ignorant of how the enemy works. And it is to set yourself up to um, probably not know how to be equipped to deal with people that are actually oppressed of the enemy. Yeah, and I, I think it I think it sets you on a slope to gradually be pulled into oppression yourself. Yes. When you hold the position <laughs> that's not real. Yeah. You know, come on. You know, we can have fun with this and put demons outside our house at Halloween and dress up and 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 I think we can slide into I, I think I think it is the strategy of the enemy in America is to, or at least the primary strategy is to say, oh, that's not real. Don't have to worry about that stuff. That's just silly stuff. That's just people. Right. And, and I think it's, it's when you haven't experienced oppression, it's easy to uh, write it off and mm-hmm. say it's just a figment of someone's imagination. But I'll tell you, for, for me, when we were exposed to the occult and began to participate in it, it introduced fear, anxiety, great depression. I began to have nightmares, nonstop nightmares. I began to see, you know, creatures appearing to me at night. In and visions or actual manifestations in your room? Both. You saw both a physical being in your room that was not a, a dream or a vision? Yes. I would see snakes, I would see spiders, and I would see just lions and things like that. And so, you know, you begin to explain this to try and express to someone and they think you're running mad. Right. So, yes, to a person that has never been oppressed like that, you won't understand that. But Stacey, do you know that now I minister to a lot of Americans both African-Americans and white Americans, Caucasians, but predominantly Caucasians of all ages, okay, from young people to students to middle-aged people to older people that have been exposed to the occult, knowingly or unknowingly, that are going through the very encounters that I'm telling you, Mm -hmm. nightmares. I prayed for um, a young person the other day that has been seeing serpents and and snakes and spiders and and she turns on the light and then she can't see anything and then she's like i'm just losing my mind you know Mm -hmm. and so no one would understand that but until she had my story and she came and she she was just like oh my gosh this this is real Mm -hmm. you know and then there's hope that actually god can set her free which he did but until you know you begin to realize that the enemy is real and that he works in very different ways, sometimes covert, sometimes overt. But his, his purpose is always to steal, to kill, and to destroy, as Jesus said. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life, and life in its abundance. So the, the reality is that we don't glorify, like you said, the darkness. We see it. We expose it. We stand against it. We expel it so that we can live in victory. Why did Paul write Ephesians 6, 10, the full armor of God? Because think about it, Paul writes 
Ephesians 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Amazing doctrine in there, right? Election of the church, predestination, um, relationships between husbands and wives and all that. But he comes to Ephesians 6, 10, and he says, finally, my brothers. You know, that Greek word that he uses there is like, pay attention to what I'm saying, mm-hmm. okay? He says, because what I'm about to tell you is so important that everything I've written, all those amazing, marvelous doctrines and, and you know, concepts I've given to you will not work for you and be fruitful for you if you don't understand what I'm about to tell you right now in the next few verses that I'm writing. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Why? He says, put on the full armor of God. Why? Because you are not battling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness, evil spirits with unseen bodies. And he's telling them, you are fighting against an enemy that that is strategic, okay, that that is smart, that um, has been around, okay, and, and, and you're going to not just need your own strength. You're going to need to draw your power from God himself in order to overcome him. And then he begins to talk about the full armor of God. What's that for? He's telling you you're going you're in a war and it's going to impact your life. It's going to impact your health. It's going to impact your marriage. It's going to impact your children. It's going to impact your nation. And until you understand that, you know, until you know the weapons of warfare that are rising against you and the weapons that God has given you because it says we are not unaware of his schemes you know why we're so defeated as a church it's because we are unaware of the enemy's schemes we are and we discount it and uh, we think it's not we think it's not real that is that is so good that is so good so um exposing it is is what we want to do and we've had several people on here who have summoned the powers that are the occult and um, it showed up as expected. We've had many people on here that have um, uh, expressed in uh, their own experiences where it has not only uh, really created destruction in their lives but also visible manifestations like you've mentioned before. And, And all... It's interesting. We've had also people that have reached out to us that says the, what that person just said that I heard in that episode happened to me almost exactly like that. And um, some of them have come on. Some of them just said, hey, I just that happened to me also. And uh, I, I think it's important that we reveal it. And I think it's important. Not only do we reveal it, but with someone like you who can sit down and say, okay, yes, that's real. But the one who is in you, if you are a Christian, is greater, far greater than the one who is in the world and the one who is manifesting these things. So we don't have any, as Christians, we don't have anything to fear, though that is exactly what they're instilling in us. You mentioned that you participated in your youth um, whenever that was, uh, after this woman had sort of exposed you and your mother did did your mother um contact did this witch doctor did she go through and have the witch doctor contact your dad well yeah of course and from there and from there it began 
um, just a series of going into um, witch doctors, you know, um, sessions where they would summon the demons and they would speak, they would come and, and demons have knowledge. They're, they're, yeah. they're persons without bodies. You know, if, when you look at what Jesus, Jesus's interactions with demons, they, they spoke, right? Mm -hmm. They, they had a will, they had emotions, they spoke. They expressed fear, you know, when they saw Jesus. So they they have knowledge, and 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 so this is what happened to us. They would they would give you knowledge. They would torment you. They would um, lie to you, and that kind of thing. And and so, but for me, I think the way it affected me the most it was I had extreme fear, mm -hmm. and with that came an also extreme aggression because I know that when I encountered Christians I was very hostile extremely hostile extremely abusive insulting um, I, but I got to a point where I was so tormented I could hardly sleep at night do you see a difference between what you are characterizing now as a, a demonic presence with you of fear and anger and hostility that is um, influencing you heavily in that way versus I lost my dad when I was six and I'm going to respond with anger and hostility. What's the case that it's a demon versus a natural emotional response to trauma. Right. Uh, I would say that difference is compulsion. You know, that a natural response to something is not driven by compulsive behavior. But demonic oppression is very compulsive. It is a harassing, you know. Um, let's talk about addictions, for example. Okay. You know, when... Anything that takes over your ability to say no or to have self-control, something that drives you and you're unable to exercise your God-given controls that you are created with and you're just driven to do something, driven to act in a certain way, that usually is a good pointer that you're dealing with a personality, a demonic personality that is influencing, that is harassing. You know, in, when we look at a biblical example, it's, it's that man, you know, that was inhabited by legion. Mm -hmm. They drove him, right? He was unable to be normal. Um, he had, he, he was not of his right mind. He, you know, they tried to, dress him and he you know it didn't work when they tried to chain him it didn't work there was just a force yeah he was cutting himself he behind him yes Mark that, chapter that five. made him do what he did and so um I've, I've seen i have friends that um have rehab facilities and help people with addictions and the success of, of their work has gone exponentially up when they have um, combined the therapy 
and um, the counseling with deliverance. Mm-hmm. Because many times people that are really suffering from addictions, that very compulsive behavior, when they come under the ministry of deliverance and submit themselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ to expel whatever demonic personalities may be behind their problem, there's greater chances of success that they yeah. will be free. We've, we've had people on here who have, <clears throat> who have suffered with severe addictions and, and, We've had people that have gone through the rehab processes and the 12 steps and all these other things. We've had a few people on here who who truly turned it over to God, submitted to God, and in an instant, the desire, Left. the compulsion was gone. Mm-hmm. And and you, you think, okay, well, they really, maybe they were, they just drank a lot or they just did drugs. Um, you know, maybe they weren't addicted. And you see the fruit of what their life was, and they describe it, and and you look at, take a look at what their faces say when they're talking about it, and it's like they they know they were addicted, right. they know that there was no hope, and how did they get from <laughs> from no hope to no desire whatsoever for the very thing they were addicted to? The presence enough. of God, exactly, he and came and. and, and extracting the presence right. of the enemy of God. Yes. And so I, I, I bring that up because I think there are people listening right now, I know there are, who have their own unreasonable compulsions. But they're churchgoers. It's like, I don't have a demonic force or oppression, do I? I mean, what does that say about me as a Christian? Am I a fraud? And so I want to expose what it looks like in, in, in real life, not just what we saw in Scripture, but in 2023, 2024, how it uh, appears in the lives of everyday people. We're trying to shine a light on the darkness, so let's shine a light on the darkness. I think you just characterized it really, really well right there in, in this difference between an emotional reaction to a, a thing that happens in your life like a trauma versus uh, this seemingly uncontrollable compulsion. Yeah. Any other ways that you would sort of describe uh, what it might be like if someone is experiencing a, an oppression that is a demonic personality? So uh, let me share a story with you um, of a friend of mine that we've just been walking this journey of deliverance. Um, she went through um, a very hurtful discovery where she realized that her marriage was falling apart. Okay. And so it brought her to such a place of desperation. And she was plagued by such a fear. It was a paralyzing fear Mm -hmm. where she could hardly make a good decision. And so we ended up in Israel together and really I didn't know her before then until we got to Israel. Okay, we, we, I met her in Israel and on the first day that I met her, you know, we had a whole day together of incredible spiritual activity and visiting all kinds of amazing sites. But later on at night, 
I said, how was your day and how are you doing? And she said, I have, I'm going through a very difficult time in, in my marriage and I just don't know what to do, but I have so much fear. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I'm afraid of making any kind of move. Mm-hmm. And, and so I looked at her and I said, well, the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear. If you're so paralyzed by this fear, right? And the Bible is telling us he's not given us a spirit of fear. Where is your fear coming from? So I asked her, I said, when was, can you tell me when, when was the first time you started feeling this afraid? She says, you know what? I have had fear all my life. She says, every major decision I've made in my life has been made from a place of fear. And so it's just that what level of intensity, what circumstance am I in? So when she told me that, I said, well, it may be that you're dealing with a personality. It's not just you. It's not just your circumstances, but you're dealing with a personality. So I began to explain to her that God has not given her spirit of fear, but he wants her to have power to walk in love and a sound mind. And what does fear affect? A sound mind. It affects your ability to, to, to walk in power because you're in, you know, you're cowering, you're afraid, you, you know, you, so, so I, I, I told her, I said, do you want us to ask the Lord if this is a spirit of fear that's harassing you? And that if it is, the Bible has said that he has given us all power and authority from the Luke ten nineteen to expel, to trample on every power of the enemy and by no means be harmed. Do you think we could do that? And she said, yes. And so we prayed. We turned her circumstance over to the Lord. She went into a time of just repenting and saying, God, I'm sorry for just not walking in the way I should have walked with you. But I want to be rid of this fear. And if it's a spirit, I'm asking you now. So we took authority right there and then. Having laid the scriptural ground of repentance, of the blood of Christ, and we said, fear, we command you to come out of her in the name of Jesus. She cried and sobbed a lot when that was happening. But when we finished the prayer, her face just so relaxed, and she was just amazed at how different she felt. And from that moment, that was back in May of 2023, to now, she has had no fear completely. And she has grown in intimacy with the Lord. I mean, Stacy, that's a person you probably will end up having on your show because of, I mean, I've never seen such a dramatic transformation yeah. where she is now in her community sharing about Jesus, you know, telling people about her story. She says, listen, demonic oppression is real. I was oppressed for years since I was a little girl and I did not know. She went out and she just 
started just doing all kinds of amazing things in her financial life, in her spiritual life. And, you know, she's told her whole community about the Lord. She opened her home and invited all these, you know, amazing people from her country club. And they, you know, and some of them ended up going through deliverance themselves. So it is real. It is real. And God sets people free. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He came to set the captives free. And there is no shame in, in understanding that this compulsion that I have may be connected to a demonic force. What matters, the Bible says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You know, if God wanted us to be ashamed of it, he would never have given us a kind of resources that he did, but he exposed it. And, and he, when he sent his disciples out, you know, he, he always said, go preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out devils, right? He, he never sent anyone out without giving the power and the authority to deal with demons because he knew that people are out there and they're oppressed and they're sick and they're bound and they're hopeless and they're going to need to hear the gospel. They're going to need to get healing and they're going to need to be set free. So he equipped his disciples and he equipped, he has equipped the church to go and do that. And until we stand in that place of obedience and in that place of power and say, God, I'm opening myself up to what you said, to the power that you've given me to go out and take the gospel and demonstrate the gospel with the power that comes to set people free. We're going to still see young people destroyed by drugs. We're going to see young people going off into the occult. We're going to see churches that have no power, empty pews, because we have failed to really walk in the fullness of the Great Commission. Yeah, I, I think that's been a, a very observable um, thing that's gone on in our culture for a long time is uh, we, we've sort of removed the power of God <laughs> from our experience. People think that Christianity is subscribing to a doctrine and a way of life. And, um, and, and of course, we do that. But when you remove the power of God from, and, and, and that, that comes from true relationship, true connection with a living God, right? Not just a uh, a new trend or a fad that's going around or um, subscribing to a political party. It's 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 a it's a living when when Christians understand and experience the living God yeah. inside of them and and experience the power of that. Whether it's this a transformation from a a person who apparently had this inexplicable fear from childhood that clouded every one of her decisions to go from that to a freedom mm -hmm. from that that quickly that seems supernatural it seems like something was removed from her that other than just her perspective right so and i think it's important and and i just i just think there's a lot of people and myself has been included in that. I, that's something I have really um, more aggressively approached in my own life over the last months, years of um, 
recognizing these sort of compulsions that seem to be beyond just me making a decision and then trying to expose that for what it, I believe it could be, whether it be uh, permission given by me in my own unforgiveness of others or if it's something that I recognize as generational in nature, uh, addressing those things. And I, I just want people listening to this, and, and we've done it in several episodes recently where it has been exposed. And I want people to feel um, free to address these compulsions and understand scripturally and every other way that there is an answer. And the answer is right at your fingertips. The answer is already inside of you. And there's a way to free yourself or to get free from the oppression. Mm -hmm. And that's what I, I just enjoy exposing that. And I just want people to not keep this idea at, at, a, at arm's length, right. but rather say, wait a minute, how can I experience freedom from this? I just thought that's who I was. Correct. And, and you describing it, and I, and I think we'll probably get into a little bit more of it later, but that's really important. And I, I think it's um, opening the door to the possibilities of freedom from something that people didn't think they could get ever free from is really important. And I feel like that's a big part of the work we're supposed to do today. So you're doing a great job of explaining that, and I love it. And you have experience, and you are um, living in that ministry, and it is really valuable to get your perspective and your experiences in that. So that is awesome. You said you were um, Muslim for a while. Just, and not to spend too much time on it, but for you, and you're clearly a Christian now, we're going to get into how you became a Christian, but for you, what, what, what's like the main difference between Islam and Christianity from a personal perspective? The cross. The cross. Hands down. You know, in Islam, they believe that Jesus was a prophet and he was called Isa. But that when it got to the point of crucifixion, it didn't happen. He wasn't crucified. That God took him away and, you know, provided a substitute. And so they believe he will come back again. That Isa will come back to the earth again. Um, just like we believe Jesus will come back a second time. They believe he will come back. But in their case, that he's not going to come back. You know, um, he'll come back and live a normal life and get married and all that. We believe he's coming back as conquering king. But really, it is a cross because without the death of Jesus Christ and the shedding of blood and the resurrection of Christ, there is no remission of sin. There is no eternal life. Okay. And that is why Islam is such a work-based religion. You, you can do good works and hope that on that day when you die and stand before the judgment seat, you'll be accepted by virtue of your works. Because of the cross for Christians, we believe that when we come and we believe in that sacrifice that Jesus made for us, that we're adopted as children of God, and that that sacrifice is complete in itself, okay, that once we receive him, then 
we have that adoption as children of God and we have eternal life. So anything and everything we do after is an action or actions of love. So we are ministering and we're doing, you know, faith, our faith and our works are flowing out of a love relationship with him where we know that we have already been covered. We've already been accepted. Our future is secured in him. And so we are working based on love, based on, you know, um, the desire, based on obedience to him to advance his kingdom so that more and more can come into that loving, living relationship with him. And my experiences of that difference um, in both was that when I was in Islam, I was searching and I was longing and I had no assurance I had no assurance of a relationship with God. Mm. Okay. When I came into Christianity, into a loving, living relationship with Jesus, I found that assurance. I found a living, vibrant friendship with God. And so when I wake up in the morning, I lift up my face. I lift up my voice to a God that can hear me that can speak to me, that can respond, wants to respond, wants to be with me. When I go out and do my work, whether it was going to court to litigate, whether it's going to church to speak, whether it's coming alongside a widow and praying for her, I feel his love. I feel his presence. I am simply working out of a uh, a living, loving relationship that impacts me and everyone that I encounter, that's transformational. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. That's so well said. So, so you as a teen were in a place of um, the occult and um, Islam and bitterness and anger and demonic influence that you believe was manifesting itself in your life? How did you go from that into what you just described? Yeah. So at around 13 years of age, so Uganda had a British system of education Mm -hmm. since we were British colony. And so I went from primary school to secondary school at 13 years of age. And the school that I ended up in was a British-founded missionary school in Uganda, and Anglicans. And it was there that I was first exposed to Christians and Christianity. I was registered as a Muslim in the school, did not have to go to chapel or prayers or, you know, call them fellowship prayers. But these girls began to see that I was very angry um, and very combative and they began to pray for me and began to present the gospel to me jesus loves you and i was not interested Mm. at all um i was very hostile and abusive there's a girl in particular that presented the gospel to me on an almost daily basis and she really felt that the lord was speaking to her to tell her that i was going to get saved and I didn't appreciate that at all. 
But in the meantime, of course, I had this secret life where, you know, uh, demons spoke to me, demons tortured me at night. I could hardly sleep at night. A life that was terrorized, you know, by the powers of darkness and a life of fear. That no, But I tried to hide that. And so what people saw was just this very angry, horrible, hostile person. But inside I was really like falling apart. But God in his mercy was just moving these girls to begin to pray for me. But I didn't know that. Um, and so one day, to make a long story short, one day I was uh, in the dorm room by myself on a Saturday night and um, began to feel like, like a, a, an evil presence standing right next to me. And I jumped up. And I was so afraid. I felt I was going to die. Some people will say, oh, that's a paranoia or a panic attack, whatever you call it. It happened and it was real to me. And so I, I think, what do I do? And I just put my shoes on and I instinctively feel like I need to run, you know. And so I begin to run in the dark. And when I came to a stop, I was outside the chapel around 8 p.m. I didn't mean to go into the chapel, but that's where my legs, like my feet took me. When I stopped running, I was right out there. Hmm. So what do I do? So I, I thought if I sneak in from the back, no one will see me. I'll be able to sit in the back, catch my breath, figure out what I'm supposed to do. Because I had this paralyzing fear and this evil presence that I felt was just hovering over me. So, but when I walk into that chapel, someone looks back and sees me and they gasp. And then everyone looks back and people start whispering. And I just sit down and I'm so uncomfortable. And inside, you know, my, I just feel like there's an explosion going off in my head. Like just, you don't belong. You know, all these voices tell me, leave, leave, leave. I mean, let's pause here a moment. There are people that will go into a church, you know, and they feel that discomfort and, and that what's that, you know, what's that God wants you there in a place where you can be healed. It's the enemy that doesn't want you in that place because there's forces of darkness encountering the power and the presence of God. So after five minutes, I just could not stand it. I just left and a girl follows me outside and she says, we, we want you to come back. I said, no, I, I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable and you all hate me and everyone's whispering about me. She's like, we've been praying for you every weekend. We've been praying for you for the last two years. I was like, oh, she's, and she touched me and said, John, are you afraid? And I don't know, Stacy, what made me say yes, because I would never admit to anyone the issues I was going through because I was so afraid of people thinking I was abnormal, which I was. <laughs> so I said, well, yeah. She said, well, your dad died. And I said, yeah. She said, well, mine too. And, and she says, well, the reason I'm asking and telling you that is because is, is we had a lot of fear as well. And our mom told us to sleep with our Bibles. I said, well, does that work? She says, yeah, I mean, it's God's word and, and, and all that. So I ran back to my room and I'm like, because it's a missionary school, everyone was given a Bible. I didn't have to read mine because I wasn't a Christian. Right. But I get that Bible, get into my bed, put it on my chest, and I'm willing myself to sleep. 
because I'm thinking this works like one of those charms they give us in, in the occult, you know, one mm-hmm. give you a charm for good luck, one for health, one for this, you know. So I'm like, I guess this is how it works. So I'm holding it tight. And inside my head, I'm telling myself, go to sleep, go to sleep. And all of a sudden, a thought that I knew wasn't my thought. It was very crystal clear thought. Paused a question to me. Said, Jahan, are you going to sleep with this book, this Bible, and you don't even know what it says? You may as well sleep with your history textbook. And I thought, being a logical person, I thought, yeah, well, what's so special about this book compared to my history book or my math book? But I didn't know how to read it. It didn't have a concordance. So I just flipped it open. And when it fell open, it fell open to Psalm 91. And those words, Stacy literally leaped off the page and were alive. That's the only way I can describe it. They became alive. I was an avid reader. I read anything and everything. I had tried to read the Quran many times, but I'd never read something that was alive and speaking to me. Can you describe that sensation or what overcame you there that was different than anything you've ever read before? What do you mean alive? So when I open the Bible, it opens to Psalm 91. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Psalm 91 begins, he who dwells in the shelter of the most high will abide in the shadow of the almighty. I will say of the Lord, you're my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And it continues on to say, you know, that he will shelter you. A thousand may fall at your right side. You know, you will not be afraid of the terror of the night, the darkness that stalks, you know, the plague that stalks in the darkness, that you will trample on serpents and scorpions, lions. Okay. You need to understand these are my demonic manifestations, the serpents, the lions, okay, the adders. And I am reading a passage that is telling me there's a refuge, there's a shelter, and these very things that have been terrorizing you, you will have power over them. Because it cleaves to me in love, I will save him. I'd never, ever read anything that gripped me. Mm-hmm. It gripped me it and that's the word of the lord when we talk about being overcoming the powers of darkness overcoming oppression overcoming addictions it is the word of god because the presence of god comes with his word what happened to me stacy that day was i opened the word of god and his presence was there his presence came and it gave life to those words when we talk about the presence of god when you read the bible there are people that read the bible and it's like dead to them dead it's because they haven't experienced the presence of god but when you when when your heart is seeking there are moments that the lord it, it was, he was so gracious to me because he saw how desperate I was. And for some reason that day, that night, when the passage fell open, his presence breathed upon that passage. 
and it came to life. What do they say? It becomes Rema, becomes that living word. And I fell asleep. I don't know what point, because I read it again and I fell asleep. And the next thing I knew, I was being roughly shaken awake. And sometimes that's how my attacks would be. I would be shaken awake out of sleep, you know, to see a creature before me. Oh, I'm fighting for my life. You know, I'm fighting to breathe. I feel like I'm choking to death, you know, and I wake up like that. But this time I'm, I'm shaken awake and my eyes fly open and the sunlight is streaming in at 8 a.m. Uh, it's, it's one of my dorm roommates, you know, my classmates was like, you're going to be late. And the Bible was still laying open on my chest with Psalm 91 there, like a deep sleep had come over me. And for the first time in years, I slept all night long without a nightmare, without an attack. And I'm like, this is real. This is real. If I just read one passage, I have to read everything. And so I skipped class. I went into a field and found a good thick tree trunk, you know, tree. And I sat in the grass and I leaned against that tree and I began to read from Genesis. And what I can tell you, it was alive and it is still alive to me to this day. Did I understand everything I read? No. But was it real? Did it grip me? Yes. I went, I read until dark. I couldn't see anymore. I went the next day and I read till I couldn't see anymore. And then the third day. And on that third day at around noon, I had completed the Bible. And I knew that I knew that I knew that the God that was being talked about in this book, the Bible, was God. Not what I had read in the Quran, not what I had been taught in the occult and the worship of ancestors and, and demonic spirits, that this was God and that he was real and that he loved me. The God of Israel loved me. Did I understand everything I'd read about Jesus? No, I was still a little bit afraid of him because of how Islam drums it in you that it's blasphemy to call him the son of God. Mm. But I had fallen in love with who he was and what he had done. And I knew that I had to go give my life to Jesus, to God, you know, to the God of the Bible. So I went, okay, still I'm telling you, I'm a little bit afraid of Jesus, but I know that God of the Bible, this is it. So I go and I kneel down and I don't know how to give my life to God because I'm not even aware of the ABCs of the gospel, you know, but I'm desperate. And so I knelt down and I said, God, God of the Bible, God of Israel, I've read everything in your book. And I said, the greatest need I have is that I have so much darkness. I, have, I live in darkness. I live in fear. I live in hatred. If you will take away my darkness, I will serve you for the rest of my life. That's how I gave my life to God. And you know what? I didn't know. I said it because it came from such a place of, of, of genuineness and desperation. But the moment I said those words and I said, I will serve you for the rest of my life. What I felt, Stacy, was a warm sensation that started to, I felt it in my feet first and it began to travel all over my body. And it was accompanied by such a feeling of comfort and I began to cry 
and I began to cry and cry and that warmth eventually came and settled in my chest. Do you remember me saying that when I looked at my father's corpse, I suddenly felt such a heaviness. It was as if someone had placed a heavy stone in my chest that I carried around for years. Mm -hmm. That warmth settled in my chest. And as I cried and I cried, the only thing I can compare it to is is that I felt a melting. It's as if something was melting in my chest. And I'm crying and I'm seeing flashbacks of my life the pain, the trauma, the abuse, things I've been through and I'm crying, but I'm not necessarily feeling pain, not feeling emotional pain. I'm crying. I feel I'm melting within me. And that song from my father's funeral, that hymn, it begins to play again and it was the most beautiful thing. And when I finished crying, I felt two things. I felt clean and no one had told me if I was dirty. But all of a sudden, I just feel like I'd been washed. Like, I just felt clean. And I felt light, light. Like, that sense of heaviness was gone. And I stood up. And Stacy, I all, the, the thing I say that, that moment, is like I walked out of the chapel and I looked into the sun. And then I looked at the grass. And then I looked at the flowers. And it was as if I'd seen them for the very first time. It was as if all that, all my life I'd lived behind a veil, some kind of blanket. And now I was really seeing truly for the first time that the, the grass looked so green and the flowers looked so vibrant. This girl walks over to me that, you know, I see her walking towards me that I used to absolutely hate and despise. And I feel this strange stirring in my heart. And I walk up to her, it's like I'm in slow motion. I'm trying to understand what's happening to me. And I open up my arms to her and I hug her and I tell her, I love you. And I shocked her as much as I shocked myself. No one had ever told me I love you. We didn't talk like that. She's like, huh? What's happened to you? I said, <laughs> I found God. I mean, I mean she once she told everyone. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, John just got saved. They got saved. You know, the missionary calls me. She says, so you got, you gave your life to Jesus? I'm like, no, I gave my life to God. You know, I'm still afraid of Jesus. I don't understand. She's like, honey, which God? Which God are you talking about? I said, well, I read the Bible. So I told her my experience. I read the Bible. And uh, this is what happened. She said, oh, he has a son. I said, I read that. She says, well, he's, they are one. They are one. If, if you give your life to him, you give your life to Jesus. So she explains the ABCs of the gospel to me. She says, would you love to invite the son into your life? Yeah. And it changed my life. Did I get persecuted for my faith coming out of a Muslim background? Yes, for sure. But the presence of God became my everything because you know what when I told a missionary all the darkness that I've been going through and the demonic attacks and the manifestations she did not know how to deal with that she was not equipped she says I don't know how to help you Mm. but now that you have Jesus ask him to help you okay so I go and when I started having demonic attacks come inside me. A voice would speak on the inside of me and say, call 
on the name of Jesus. Before Jesus, I was powerless. When Jesus came into my life and I got a demonic attack for the first time after giving my life to the Lord, a voice inside of me, still small, soft voice said, call on the name of Jesus. And so this creature that looked like a half duck, half, you know, lion, half human, you know, human duck, lion looking creature was striking me and killing, you know, clawing at me and saying, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. And the voice said, call on the name of Jesus. And I said, Jesus, I had so much fear and I thought I was going to die. And I said, Jesus. And then the voice said, say it again. Don't stop saying it. And, and so I said, Jesus. And as I got loud and I said, Jesus, this creature looked like someone was hitting it. I could not see who was attacking it, but it said looking dazed like it was being attacked. And I made the connection that the name of Jesus was fighting for me and protecting me. And that was my first lesson in spiritual warfare. His name is above every other name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so this happened to you in this moment. So so you, you gave your life to Christ. Demonic attacks did not stop, though you had this light and peace in you. And then you began to discover and were given... Tools. The tools that the said, here's... Here's the remedy for this. Yes. Here's the antidote for your torment. Yes. And I'm assuming you just began to exercise those things. You began to use those tools. Correct. I began to use the name of Jesus when I got attacked. And let me tell you, I understood then as I grew as a Christian and I began to really read the word of God, you know, voraciously and, and to really pray and begin to fast, those demonic attacks got weaker and weaker and few and far between. But I also began to see, because while in the past I had seen demons and all that, if you don't mind, I'm going to share an experience. You know, the truth is we read the Bible and we just think it's those things are so remote, Mm -hmm. you know. God still works the same way he does like he did in the Bible. The, the, his power is so incomparable. You know, the angels that we read in the Bible that God would send to, to visit people and to bring resources and to bring provision and to bring encouragement, those things still happen today. You know, people might be there and they're listening to my story and they're like, oh, that's not, you know, that's not for me. That's not true. It is for you. Bible says angels, are they not ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation? You go to Asia, you go to Africa, you know, those places, people are experiencing the power of God and visitations from angels on a regular basis, even here in the U.S., you know, it is real. So for me, the first time that I encountered an angelic visitation was shortly after salvation, okay? I'm caught in this warfare because now I've given my life to the Lord and now you know the demons are attacking me and now they are demanding that I stop I give up my faith in Jesus Christ you know I stop praying and all that and but now I've learned the first weapon call on the name of Jesus 
call on the name of Jesus. And so I'd be calling on the name of Jesus. Then one day I woke up at around 6 a.m. And I began to just pray. You know, I stayed in my bed with my eyes closed and I began to pray. And all of a sudden, um, I saw a man. It's like a man just appeared before me. Tall, very tall man, dressed in in a, a tunic, a white tunic. And he said, come. And he got my hand and he said, come. And we began to walk. Like, I did not say, where are we going? I couldn't. I mean, it was just... But I also wasn't afraid. This is in your spirit or? I cannot tell if it was. I just know that it happened to me. 6 a.m. A man stood in my dorm room, got my hand and he said, come, walked me out of the door. Did not The door did not open. Okay, so we- this isn't in your mind's eye. This is you are interacting with your dorm room environment. In my dorm room environment. And we just walked out. 6 a.m. Everyone else was asleep. He walks me out, takes me to um, the building. It was a dining hall, huge dining hall. And he says, sit right here. I'll be right back. And so I sit where he told me to sit. And then I suddenly look up and across from me at the very end of the hall was another man. But it was a, it was a, a, and I, when I leaned over and I looked across his forehead was written the word Lucifer. And when I saw that he began to walk towards me and he had a lot of power. And as he, and and he did that, he's walking towards me. He throws his hands out and it was like this. I see what looked like vibrations, like waves Mm -hmm. coming out of his hands. And when they hit my body, I felt like I was being electrocuted and I fall to the floor and he comes and he's standing over me and doing, you know, and, and these waves are just hitting me and I'm so in extreme pain and I just feel like I'm going to die. Okay. And I I understand this is Satan and, and he's going to kill me. And so I just said, Jesus, help me. Jesus, receive my spirit. I'm too weak to even like, pray out loud and suddenly the man that had come and walked me to this dining room appeared again but this time like he was dazzling he was big tall dazzling like like lightning was coming out of him and he picks me up from the floor with his left hand and holds me up high against his chest with his left hand and he get and he out of his Rob like that he pulls out a sword that's also flashing with lightning and he begins to fight and to cut away Lucifer and and I'm just like watching this is like my eyes are like this huge you know and and then he like makes him vanish and I'm like did you kill him he says no it is not the appointed time he says but I was sent to show you this and he shows me that sword And he says, this is a word of God. It is a sword. It is operates offensively and defensively for your protection. He says, stay in the word, pray the word, live in the word of God. And he walks me to my room and back to my bed. And he says, so what's your name? He says, my name is Michael. Mm -hmm. Read about me in the book of Daniel. 
disappears. Did you not know of the angel Michael before this, or did you? I had read the Bible. Remember, I'd read through the Bible, but yeah, a lot in, in, in three days, a lot. And it says, you know, so I went back and read that. But since then, you know, I, 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 I realized that was my second weapon. And I began to really then come across just Ephesians 6. What does it say? You know, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts right through the soul and the spirit, discerning the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You know, that's how it operates. When we use it, it defends us. You know, we, we, we just talked about Psalm 91, how it spoke to me. The word of God is alive. It's active. And so it was in these encounters like that, that I began to understand, oh my gosh, the power of God is much stronger than the power of the enemy. The apostle Paul writes, and he calls it incomparably great power that is at work within us and on our behalf. You are a teenager at this time still, right? Correct. So these are some extraordinary experiences that you have been given at an yeah. early age. Yeah. So we'll have to address that in a, in a minute. But how did life progress from there? I mean... It sounds like the darkness was removed exactly as you prayed. And according to your prayer, your end of the deal was that you would serve him with the rest of your life. How did spirituality and your own sort of ministry, I guess, build from there? Jahan clearly had some spiritual encounters in her teenage years that would shape the way she experienced the rest of her life. Because this is such a rich conversation, we're going to pause it here as Jahan begins to discuss her adult spiritual life, her own deliverance, and the tools available to all believers, including you, to experience an ongoing spiritual freedom. We'll pick it up there next week. Thank you for joining us today on A Stronger Faith. To become a donor or to recommend a guest, please visit astrongerfaith.org or email us at contact at a stronger faith.org. Until we rejoin our conversation with Jahan Burns next week, we pray for your peace, God's presence in your life, and a stronger faith for you and those you love.